Hello, everybody, and welcome back to TMR's Check-In Podcast. My guest for this episode is Lori Reischus, the president and CEO of Airlines Reporting Corporation, or as most of you know it, ARC. I jumped at the opportunity to speak to Lori, one, because of her long history in the industry, including a start as a ticketing travel agent, which is something we talk about, and two, because I felt like she could provide the kind of perspective that travel needs right now, the kind of perspective that so many of us are searching for as the industry continues to recover while still being below 2019 levels. I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone as thoughtful about the industry and as well informed about travel as Lori. So I thought she'd be a perfect guest to provide us what we were looking for. In this interview, she talks about ARC's place in history, how its primary role in the industry was once accrediting travel agencies, a role it keeps today, but also now more of a data and technology company. She talks about the NDC adoption and what advisors need to know about that. She touches about her perspective on GDS usage. But being a data company now allows ARC to track the industry via ARC accredited travel agency ticket sales. And the latest data continues to be encouraging for the industry despite everything that's happening all over the world. If you look at some of the most recent data, month over month, January 22 showed passenger trips up 25%, U.S. domestic trips up 21%, and international trips, a segment that lagged the other, the, the domestic recovery, up 33%. All of that is very encouraging, and ARC expects that recovery to continue as we go along, as destinations continue to drop mask mandates, as corporate begins its recovery, and as more and more consumers feel more comfortable about spending their money on vacations. Lori also speaks about the future, how again, encouraging ARC's spring break data continues to be for the industry, and the one thing that is dragging on the industry's full recovery, which again, is still below 2019 levels. It's a lot of great data, a lot of great talking points for, for positioning your business, and some great perspective for someone who has been in the industry for so long. I hope you all enjoy the conversation as much as I did and find it as valuable as I do. So let's check in with Lori. Hi, Lori. Hi. So I appreciate you, Lori. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today too. I know uh, I know things have to be busy uh, on your end now with with sort of the pandemic still impacting things and war impacting things now too. My our former CEO sent me a note and said, you know, first pestilence, now war. What else? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to know the rest of how that all reads because I don't want to know. <laughs> So I have, a, I just have a, a, some questions about sort of the uh, the pro the prospects for the industry going forward, about some data that Arc released recently. But I, I just want to give you a chance to sort of talk about the role that Arc plays in the industry now, a little bit about Arc, especially for the for the new advisors coming into the industry that might not be aware of Arc or, or know too much about it. Sure, sure. Let me give you a, you know a little bit of an elevator speech. Um, we know we view our mission is to accelerate the growth of air travel. So you know, I know that I've looked at some of your stories and, you know, we're not as um, focused on other elements of the travel industry, but, you know, any, any place you go where there's an airplane involved, that's yeah. definitely, you know, on our, on our radar. Yeah. So we, um, so how do we do that? Right. Uh, so we have a very um, large data business. We provide a lot of insights to the industry to help agencies, airlines, uh, anybody involved in air travel, destination management organizations, et cetera, to, um, you know, mine the data for insights, help them plan, you know, their own strategies. But our fundamental business and the original 
purpose of ARC was to accredit travel agencies in the U.S. who are acting on behalf of an airline when they sell a, a ticket to a customer and to ensure that the airlines have visibility into who the, those agents are uh, and to ensure that the money flows properly between the agents and the airlines and and customers in terms of refunds and things like that. Yeah, so you've been with ARC for 17 years now, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So my career kind of has two big halves, big chunks okay. to it. The first half of my career was spent on the travel agency side of the business. I worked in managed uh, corporate and business agencies and then moved over to ARC as, as a, what I felt was a really nice adjacent move, you know, okay. still in the industry. But at the end of the day, uh, we're really a data management and financial clearinghouse for the industry. So we're not obviously involved in the selling of, of travel itself, such as an agency would be. Okay, yeah, and I mean, how have you seen the, I mean, just because you have had relationships with that side of the business, the travel mm -hmm. agent side of the business, how how is the, how has ARC's relationship with the advisor or the agent community evolved over, over the time you've spent with ARC? Have you seen, I know AIRS become less of an important part of maybe their business, but is that, is that something you've seen? Well, I think it's, you know, when people talk about agents, this is not a monolithic business yeah. model, right? So um, for most agencies, either leisure or corporate in orientation, AIR is still a huge part of their, of their business and a, an important source of not only income for them, but as a, you know, a pretty critical service for their customers are expecting as well. You know, from an ARC perspective, when I joined the organization, we didn't have a data business at the time. It was just all uh, settlement oriented activity. And we were in more of a compliance mindset. You know, our job was to know who the agents are, make sure they're processing, you know, the air travel uh, properly. And, and it was a little bit more of a utility kind of mindset, I think, with some of the quality of relationships that you might get with a more utility type of, of organization. We've made dramatic changes over the years, you know, recognizing that ARC doesn't exist without agencies. We've made, uh, we made major investments in uh, adding, you know, relationship management people to the team, starting to develop products and services that help agents grow their business beyond the selling of airline tickets themselves. So that was a real fundamental shift we made starting about 15 years ago. Yeah, and I know the NDC was was just massive for agencies too. That 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 rollout, which I know was a huge true mm -hmm. story, but the pandemic seemed to take over. Especially my coverage, the pandemic seemed to take over every story I was writing. But uh, prior to that, it seemed like that that was constantly coming up, and that was such a big deal for agents. Yeah, I think NDC. There was a lot of confusion about what it actually meant and and how it was going to work. And because it had not really gotten into production in any kind of meaningful way, there was a lot of swirl of confusion about what it could mean. Right. And so we're starting to see, and it's evolved. Yep. You know, the premise behind NDC was that the content, the product content related to air travel that's available in the direct channel. If you go to airline.com, you can get access to preferred seats or advance um, purchase of your baggage. You know, there's, there's kind of elements related to your trip that you can purchase that was not available in the traditional GDS channel. So NDC was initially all about trying to get more content into the pipes for agencies. And there was, you know, 
toing and froing about, you know, how that was going to work. And the GDSs have adopted now in DC and are starting to build out those pipes. So I think that part of the reason, I mean, obviously the pandemic's taken over, you know, all of the mental space <laughs> for most of us. But um, I also think that NDC has matured as a concept and is, you know, is becoming more integrated into the workflows that agencies have already got a lot of investments in. And so that's taken the noise level down a bit too. You know, we did see, just to, just to talk a little bit more about NDC, we did see during the pandemic, uh, a number of airlines still prioritize the development that they need to do to be able to bring that content to agencies as a priority, even under pretty constrained you know, financial circumstances. And other airlines put it on the back burner, yeah. said it's not important enough to us for you know our strategy. So we'll pick that back up when times get better. So it's been kind of a mixed bag. You know, you mentioned the GDS and I, I do want to get into the data because I know uh, sure. your time is valuable, but it I, I've heard from so many advisors and so many host agencies and, and big agency owners that those GDS skills are just becoming incredibly important now, uh, just because it seems to be a scarce scarcity of them among a growing population of agents. It just seems like the GDS, it, it was fading at a certain point. I mean, I've been in the industry, only been in the industry about six or seven years, um, mm -hmm. but I've been hearing more and more about GDS skills now than I've perhaps ever heard about before. Um, I can't say that I've heard that so much as just during the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of reductions, people put on furlough or, or, or let go a, a number, you know, of, yeah. uh, you know, people that now that things are coming back, you know, the, they're people who have made different life decisions at this time, you know, you're looking at somebody here, I'm 60 years old, I was a travel agent, I know Sabre, I know, you know, the green yeah. screen, you know, I get yeah. the hardcore kind of skills. I mean, they're not sharp now, but, and there's just not a lot of so you think about people in my demographic who get laid off, that's kind of what we're reading about overall, not just in this industry. People in their you know, later years have taken early retirement, maybe forced into it during the pandemic and have decided that you know, maybe they're gonna keep doing what they've been doing and not go back. So I do read a lot about agencies getting very creative about how to train the next travel agents of the future. Uh, so though they may or may not have to have those hardcore GDS skills, because the truth is the GDS has evolved a lot yep. since the time of people like me learned yeah. the basics and they have much more intuitive kinds of, you know, displays and, and capabilities. So I, sometimes it's a factor of kind of what, you know, yeah. and how fast you can be if you use, you know, the skills that you, that you have, um, as opposed to learning something different. So well, how when when you learned it, I'm just curious. How difficult was it? Was it a skill to learn to to, to be able to operate these different GDSs and to be able to operate these ticketing systems? You'd be surprised. It's yeah. pretty. Um, it's pretty. If you've got an aptitude for it, it's pretty easy to learn one and learn the basics. Now, if you started to get into more complicated, like international fairing and things like that, that's people who were good at that. Yeah. That was many, many years of, of, of learning and reading tariffs and, and building fairs and all that stuff. But I did um, work at Sato Travel and we had a call center where we were using multiple GDSs. And we, I remember distinctly us thinking, you know, if you hire the right person with the right <laughs> aptitude, they can learn like three or four GDSs because, you know, different customers, these are corporate accounts who they would choose their GDS. You know, this call may be, corporations on Sabre and the next call it comes in is, you know, corporation is on Galileo. Yeah. Um, we learned that even the best agents could really only master two, 
I guess it's the kind of the version of, there's a few people who can be multilingual, but most people to be really, really strongly bilingual is an accomplishment in itself. So I think of it that way. Yeah, and, and just again, I, it's nice to hear, I, I've sp spoken to a lot of high industry people like yourself, and it's just incredible the amount of people who have that base of knowledge from working some in some capacity as a travel agent or travel advisor at one point. It's interesting that this keeps coming up over and over again <laughs> that I started my career selling travel or 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 booking travel. Um, I, do you see anything in that? Like, do you see that kind of skill set being valuable for someone to to move up in, in even in corporate positions? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, it just. I, I don't know. I've only worked in this industry, so I don't know if this yeah. is a is if it's more or less common in other industries. But you're, you're right. There's a number of us that you know started you know in frontline you know agency roles or you know the airline equivalent of that might be in you know some sort of a fare or revenue management or something like that. To me, that's just the when you know the building blocks of the business and how things work. This is a very complex ecosystem that we all operate in. It's not like you're just in this one company. You know, understanding how the work flows from the journey of a customer um, and kind of how all the pieces and parts come together and really valuable. And I think that the background that I have has served continues to serve me well because I can be listening to the team talking about some initiative or something that we're problem we're trying to solve and just understanding some of the context in which all of that's happening. Even if my skills are really rusty, I don't <laughs> think I can necessarily issue a ticket anymore, but uh, yeah. um, it, you, you just understand it in a very fundamental way. And I, I personally think that that makes you um, a better leader. Yeah, so, so I wanna dive into to some of the recent data that you published, okay. especially because you, you, uh, you spoke about how, how that's the primary role uh, of ARC now. And I know the January data, I know it was incredibly encouraging uh, looking mm -hmm. at 21 and 20 compared to it. Um, remember 21. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I saw passenger trips were up 25% total, US domestic trips up 21%, international trips up 33%, which seems incredibly an incredibly good sign for the industry yeah. um, and something that should keep you encouraging. But yeah, I mean, is this when you get this kind of data, when these, these things do seem so positive, is this encouraging for you looking at the industry as a whole? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we've been through, you know, experience that I don't think any of us have ever had before or will ever hopefully ever have again. And we see such strong recovery. I mean, there are markets, domestic U.S. markets that are above 2019 levels. I mean, there's just a huge demand for domestic travel. The, the, I think overall, we're only about 5% below uh, 2019 levels for domestic travel. Obviously, some markets doing you know even better than they were in in 2019. International or international has been lagging, but it's it's starting to recover now. We don't know you know the the events in Europe, what kind of impact that's going to have. But I I just read something earlier this morning, some analysis done by Forward Keys, and so far it looks like travel to Europe, Western Europe from the US is only down maybe 10, 13%. In other words, whereas travel within Europe is down 30 to 50%, depending okay. on which markets. So I think the interpretation that they had, which I would agree with is that US travelers to Western Europe, you know, are making a distinction between Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And there's a lot of pent up demand to get, you know, back to international travel. Yeah, I was, I, a lot of the data we were looking at, especially early 2020 was sort of the, the drop off in TSA passenger numbers. And I know that was a big headline on the like, CNBC constantly used that mm -hmm. in the early stages mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And I went through 22, I, I tried to count how many days were beating 2019. 
Um, and I think it was, I think there were seven or eight days that yeah. are better than 2019 already in 22. So I mean, even with all this stuff still going on, it does seem that the industry is it's, sort of turning, turning the corner. It is. I mean, data that we don't share publicly has to do more with you know, sales by airline, yeah. obviously, but um, the vast majority of airlines are seeing week after week, every week, more and more um, sales and disbursements and cash coming in the door. And that's nothing but good. Yeah. Um, and so the other the, the other data point I did want to ask about is the average U.S. round ticket price. And I know this is going to be front of mind for a lot of people because there seems to be a perfect storm surrounding this now with with mm -hmm. demand in going up with destinations reopening and with obviously oil prices. Everyone's talking about oil prices now. Is that is that sort of what's what's driving the increase? Is it is it all those factors? Is, is it more? Um, is, it, is it something else entirely? I think the impact of any pr price changes because of inflation or um, fuel has probably not really been experienced yet. I mean, okay. typically fares, a typical cycle, take COVID aside or COVID recovery aside, typical cycle would be you see higher fares in the first half of the year than you do the, the latter half of the year. So, you know, I don't think it's enough data yet to make a trend, but you know, we'd be happy to look at that a little bit more with the team and, and come back to you. The the last I've read internally here is that we're it's still too early to to judge. Okay, I mean, in in general, I guess how big of a factor is inflation, and in, 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 whether in general or or in the energy sector, uh, when it comes to these prices, or is that or is that something that's difficult to even tell? Yeah, it's it would be difficult for me to comment on, yeah. and I'm not you know trying to withhold any information. No, it's just yeah. that we haven't had an inflation period like this for, for quite a while. So we'd have to do some analysis to see, you know, what happened the last time we had some major inflation experience like this and what was the impact and same thing with fuel. You know, it just seems like such a long time ago, but, you know, in 2019, 2018 <laughs> were the years that you were first for the, the entire history of aviation, commercial aviation, you were seeing profitable airlines, you know, they had just gotten to a place um, so I'm sure there's periods where there was impacts from high inflation and fuel costs that are beginning to look like the ones we're seeing now. Um, but let's keep an eye on it. And Nick, yeah. I'll try to get you some more analysis. I know um, I know. spring break seems to be, I've seen a lot of consumer headlines about spring break, uh, about it. But, uh, this, this, this seems to have happened a lot over the last 12 months is that these uh these typical big travel periods are, are starting to really look back to normal or as close to back to normal totally. as you can get. Yeah, that, yeah that's totally. what that's what you were seeing too. Yeah, yeah, like that's what I was referencing. There's markets um in Florida that are at higher than 2019 levels. So there's there's definitely um it's a popular destination. Seeing a lot of um just you know like I said, domestic travel is strong and in some markets back higher than 2019 levels. Yeah. Um and spring break is a typical trend that we've seen maintain, be, be maintained even in this sort of coming out of COVID time. That's um, where people want to go. <laughs> it's been cold in the winter. They want to go south. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, yeah, like you mentioned, the typical spring break destinations have, have a lot of been like the, the, the poster child for these has been domestic destinations, like you mentioned, Florida and things yeah. like that. So I imagine, I imagine that's encouraging too. But also, um, you know, Mexico has done really well, yeah. Cancun in particular, I'd, we'd have to get back to you with the yeah. specifics, but, you know, we saw airlines put so much more capacity into Florida, some of the islands and, and Mexico because the demand was there. You mentioned the Ukraine situation. I don't want to dive deep on that because I know there's uh there's just a tremendous amount of uncertainty and I know that's it's a difficult topic to talk about, but 
Um, in general, just sort of a, a recovery in Europe. Is that is that ex you meant like you mentioned? Is that expected to stall a bit now with with geopolitical turmoil wherever it may be in Europe? I think it's too early to tell. Like I said, the only analysis I've seen is what I, I read this morning from Forward Keys, and they were showing, you know, intra-Europe destinations, countries like Poland, where you're closer to the conflict, down significantly. Logical, right? Yeah. Um, but that Western Europe, not so much, and that. Um, inbound from the US really just a very small decrease. I think that equally important at this point would not in the terms of from a morality perspective, but in terms of recovery yeah. is things like the mask mandates. I just read the bulletins come through. I think it's been extended to April 18th, but more importantly for, for international travel, the testing requirements to come back in the US. I mean, that is a dampening effect on people's desire to travel internationally is the concern that should I get exposed to COVID, will I have a problem coming back into the country? And so, you know, I think that um, industry representation groups like ASTA and um, probably A4A as well, but certainly I know ASTA has come out and really asked the administration to strongly consider dropping the testing inbound to the U.S. testing requirement for those that are vaccinated, because that does just, it gives you that sense of uncertainty. And then one more thing to have to do when you're coming, preparing to come back to the U.S. is to get that test. So... Yeah, that I know US travel had a big push with that as well. It yeah. does seem I mean, I, I've traveled a couple of times internationally. And I mean, I was super comfortable. I'm, I'm sure everyone most people who travel were comfortable, but it does it does stick in your head that on this vacation, we're going to have to stop right. at a, I'm gonna have to figure out how to get tested. And I'm going to have to gonna have that 15 minute waiting period, um, where I'm unsure if I'm going to be stuck here an extra two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've traveled as well internationally. And it, it was it, I'm so motivated to do it, it would have been fine. I, <laughs> yeah. I think I, I ended up going to London during the period where the time frame was changing and so in a like a three-day trip to london i think i had to have like three tests it's more just the hassle factor of like you yeah. said you know finding a place to get it done and, and sort of disrupting your plans and then there is that little i mean you can imagine though if you're a family um or maybe you know i was traveling on business but if you're on your own nickel and you're worried you know about like what kind of additional expense might i incur if i have to stay extra time here i mean that you could see why that would pivot of someone from deciding to fly internationally and just look again for what's an interesting domestic destination to to go check out. And you know, this is a big country, lots and lots of places in the US to go and explore. So yeah. that I think has contributed to why we've seen such a strong domestic travel market because people are making that choice. Yeah. So I only have a couple more, but I'm just curious. I mean, how just comparably to other trips, I'm sure if you've been to London a number of times, uh, mm -hmm. did it feel did that feel back to normal? Did, did traveling through Heathrow? I, I assume it was Heathrow. But did that mm -hmm. did that feel like I'm sure the masks were different, but did was yeah. it was it? Yeah, I mean, I, I just love travel. It's why I'm yeah. in the industry. So it's you know, I think we've all adjusted, if you will, to the masks or, or we certainly just learned to tolerate them. So it felt not not only normal, Dan, it felt it felt I was going to an industry event. And this is a wonderful industry full of such interesting people. And there's so many different companies that contribute that even though I've been in it for like 30 plus years, you're just always learning something new and meeting somebody new. And so it was it was wonderful to be back out on a business trip to a yeah. conference. And it made me, you know, I swore I would never take that kind of thing for, <laughs> for yeah. granted again, because yeah. I just, it was just invigorating for me. Yeah. Like you mentioned, you called it earlier in the conversation, an ecosystem. And I think that gets taken for granted, I, I, mm -hmm. especially for people outside the industry. I don't think you realize how incredibly mm -hmm. intertwined things are in this industry, yeah. how many things have to uh, have to work in order for you to enjoy a vacation. It is, it's, 
you're right. People don't understand it. It's it's a stunningly complex, you know, customer service, operational, logistics, you know, financial industry. The, the fact that it works as well as it does is, you know, probably a miracle. <laughs> but I think all of us that are in it, you know, see so much opportunity too to just improve the overall um, experience for customers and make it even more, even more like sort of the type of retail experience that they have with with other industries. I completely agree. So I only, I want to just, I want to ask you two more last questions. And the first one is just basically, I mean, are you, do you have in general, any, any expectations for 22 that you think are important? Like any industry benchmarks, any, any things you're going to look for going forward to, uh, for any data points that you think agents and other people in industry can look to and, and see the progress the industry has made? Well, I would say that the two simple ones for us that are kind of our guiding data points and, and that we're looking to see how we're doing compared to is we expected to start the year about 30% below 2019 levels in terms of, you know, tickets processed through ARC. Um, we actually started a little bit below that. It was more like, I think, 33% or so. Um, because Omicron was still kind of having its depressing effect on, on, on travel. But within about three or four weeks of the year, we kind of blew back through that and got above 30, you know, got to a better than anticipated place. So that's good news. Um, we expect to end the year about 15% all in. When I say, you know, corporate, international, domestic, all in. Uh, 15 percent below 2019 if we achieve that as an industry i think that's a huge huge sign of recovery because corporate's going to have to come back in a meaningful way to move that number and will and international will and, and if corporate is back and international is back even incrementally that is really good for agencies that's obviously really great for suppliers who are more oriented or have product that's oriented towards the corporate traveler that's you know that they want to be providing more of. I, I guess my last one is I, I, and I I've had this question with a number of people, um, and I'm kind of get sick. I'm kind of getting tired of asking it, but <laughs> just the just the pandemic in general in your career in the travel industry has anything taken hold of the industry as much as COVID had? Um, and I, I guess that's a positive question now that we're somewhat out of it. But is, is this comparable to any other period or any other event that you can remember? Well, for, and I, if you've been asking this question, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person who has said the yeah. only thing that comes close, and it's only for a limited period of time, was 9-11. You know, 9-11 just being such, but but it also so different, right? 9-11 was just this, this huge shock. COVID was a slow shock. I mean, it took us a few weeks to figure out what was going on. And now, of course, it's lasted so much longer. But in terms of just turning business upside down and the, and the trauma. I think with 9-11, it was this immediate trauma. I think with COVID, it's, it's trauma, but it's been um, long and prolonged. I mean, the, the people in this industry have, have really suffered and it's, um, it's taking its toll. You know, Dan, you haven't asked this question of me, but most people ask me like, what's, what's happening with the business and what's your biggest challenge? And I would say turnover as we're, we're losing, we're losing talented people. Now we run a data and technology and financial services business to, you know, the Googles and the Amazons and all the other really, you know, great companies out there that want that talent and people. Um, it's natural for people to move on to different places in their career, but people are leaving the industry. You know, we used to see the movement within the industry and that's that's the biggest challenge so i don't know i didn't i hope i answered your question about yeah. you know a comparable period but but yeah. I, I i know this is a big question too and again i don't want to take up much more of your time but i have i have plenty of time what's the solution to that i mean what's what's i know that's a huge massive question but what's yeah. how can travel start to 
either reattract people back in the industry or or get that talent who is just entering the workforce right now? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that our answer to that would be, you know, you we've got to see a robust enough recovery that people that we can pay competitive salaries. And I think travel once it's you know back on its feet and really flourishing again will draw and attract talent to it because it's a great industry. And I will tell you, it's not, I mean, I'm telling you that turnover is a problem for us. That doesn't mean that we're not able to hire people. We are hiring people. And when I ask them why they've decided to join ARC, it is because of the industry. And in our case, it's, you know, really interesting data to work with if you're, you know, in that field. And so we, we just need to be able to compete, which in order to compete, you have to have, you know, margins have to be such that you can, you know, offer competitive um, salaries and benefits. The industry is a draw for sure, but people want, understandably, they want to work in an interesting business and be compensated, you know, competitively. Yeah, that I've heard from uh, so many people with with extended careers in industry that they just never had the heart to leave the industry after a certain amount of time. And I guess, yeah. I guess, is experiencing firsthand what the industry can do for you, both both in your career and, and your personal life experiences too. So I think I, I I always I'm always sort of on the side of as an industry, we have to highlight that a lot more yep. than we are, and we have to emphasize that going forward. We do. And, you know, Dan, we've been talking about that here at ARC because one of the things I think we have to emphasize is the, is the value that this industry brings to the world. And maybe we all took it for granted or thought people just sort of intuitively understood that, but this industry truly builds economies. It enriches lives. And we've called this out in our new um, strategy statement because, or our new mission statement, excuse me, because we want to be more overt about that. You know, that travel does these really important things for the world. And I think it's part of drawing talent into the industry. I mean, people want to work where, with a purpose. And, you know, that's always been true, I think, but even more, even more true today. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap it up, but I okay. want to say, yeah, I want to say thank you for, for your candor and all, all the information too. I know that how valuable all this is going to be for, for travel advisors. Oh, well, great. Well, thank yeah. you. I really appreciate your interest in ARC. Yeah. And it was nice to meet you. And hopefully someday in the future, we can, uh, we can run into each other somewhere. That sounds great. I would love that. All right. All right. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot, Lori. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.